0: Hi, I'm Mandy. Thanks so much for joining us today on the podcast for Harrisonburg Nazarene Church. Please subscribe for updates and new episodes to the podcast. Also, you can now search for our podcast on Spotify. Join us each Sunday at 1030 a.m. on Facebook Live. Be sure to like or follow our page while you're there.
1: Um, my name's Adrian. If I haven't gotten to meet you, so thrilled that you're here today. And I want to begin this morning by sharing, uh, it will sound like a bit of a confession. I think it will make sense here in a minute. But I want to confess to you something that I love to do. I love playing paintball with middle schoolers. I know it sounds really odd. I'll share a little bit of the background. I think that statement will make a little more sense in a minute. I the privilege of being the youth pastor here, pastor student ministries at HFCN for nine years, and specifically when I showed up here eleven years ago now, I began really working with middle schoolers, and I love middle school students. I just think it's such a beautiful like, awkward stage. Now, if there's a middle schooler in the room, I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about years ago. Obviously, you've progressed way more than middle schoolers then, so just just relax. This is middle schoolers, long, long time ago, but just this beautiful collision of, of life and growing up and experiencing some freedom, and I just love it. I love it, and so we would take a retreat every fall, and we still continue to go to the same place. Pastor Olivia leads our students now. But there at the camp, there'd be this opportunity to play paintball, which I've never done before in my life, but here I am with a bunch of middle school students on retreat, and it's $10, and I don't have any desire. If you know nothing about paintball, you don't need to. There's a gun with bullets of paint that come out, and they hurt. That's all you need to know, okay? That's all I needed to know to know I was not interested in this, but a couple of the middle school students got together, and they ponied up the money for me to play. Like, hey, we're going to, because they just wanted to shoot me, you know? That's like love, I guess. Like, we're going to pay money to get you out there. And finally, I was like, all right, sure, whatever. And I get out there, and I quickly learned there's two kinds of middle schoolers who play paintball. This big field, probably 100 yards or so with different obstacles. And we have a team, and they have a team. And the goal is to kind of get to their side and get their flag. And uh, middle schooler number one plays this way. There's like a barrier here that's on the far end of the field, the other team's way over there, and they duck behind the barrier, and they just shoot like this. Like, they can't even see. They're just, you know, that's how they do. They never get hit, but man, they're, you know, they're out of paint in like a minute. That's how they play. It's reckless. It's just wherever. That's one. The other middle schooler plays like this. Uh, something to the akin of kind of like Braveheart running through the field with their gun. Ah! You know, and after 30 seconds, they've been destroyed and they're out. And so you kind of have two extremes. And so then comes me who, I, I think I like playing these kind of activities with middle schoolers because my athletic ability probably peaked in about seventh grade. And from that point, it's just gone downhill. So I have a little bit of strategy. And because of that, because you have some doing this and some just you know, wide open in the field, you've got me with a little bit of strategy and a little bit of skill. And let me tell you, I'm like the Rambo of middle school paintball. I mean, my team was indestructible. The Chuck Norris, the Jason Bourne, the Katniss Everdeen. I'm trying to get all generations in there to understand. That's who I was out there. Everyone wanted to be on my team. <laughs> and I promise you, it wasn't because I was good. Today, we start a brand new series uh, for this week and next week on this idea of temptation. Temptation temptation it's a really important thing and it's important enough that we're taking two weeks to talk about how this is impacting us every day of our lives and there's a lot that hangs in the balance but the reason that the reason I bring up that example is because I want you to know that the efforts made to tempt us every day the enemy of our soul that wants to tempt us and destroy our lives the efforts put forth to tempt us are not how middle schoolers play paintball so temptation for us is not random. The enemy is not shooting behind a barricade, just blindly opening fire. If it hits, then it hits. That's not it. He's also not really gung-ho in the middle of the field. Here I am, tempting you, destroying you. That's not really it. The enemy of your soul, of my soul, he's very strategic. He's very careful. He's very, well, scientific in the way that he tempts us. And that's why we've called this series the Science of temptation. Because there's a lot of thought behind the way that you and I are tempted. Our weaknesses are probed carefully, systematically. And since, therefore, it's not by accident that you and I are tempted, our approach to current temptations and future temptations must be thoughtful. They must be thoughtful. And the truth is, if you're not facing a temptation now, if you're not facing a temptation today, just wait. Because every single one of us Every single one of us. I don't care how good you look and how long you've been in church. And every single one of us face temptation. And so for that, we we must begin now preparing for the next temptation that we will face. Uh, I want us to turn uh, to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. What we're really going to begin doing today is we're going to look at the first temptation. Next week, if you come back, I hope you will, we're going to look at Jesus's temptation. You can't talk about temptation and not look at the example of Jesus himself being tempted. Uh, But this morning, we're going to begin in Genesis chapter 3 by studying the first example that we see in Scripture of temptation. And in, in doing so, I think we'll learn a lot. We'll learn a lot about the science of temptation, about the ways that we're tempted and the ways that we can stand firm in the midst of the temptations that we face A little background here. I don't have to give you a lot because it's on, like, the third page of your Bible. But God is created, and it's good. (laughs) I mean, that could be the recap, right? God is created, and it is good. And he created man, Adam, and woman, Eve, and he put them in charge. He gave them authority over creation. He places them in the garden, and they have everything they need because, again, the creation is good. And this is how creation was intended to be. This is how life was meant to be in the garden God gives them one guardrail, one thing. that He says, you can have it all. This is all for your enjoyment, but there's one tree in the garden you you can't eat from. He gave them these boundaries. And all the freedom that he gives them and his love, he gives them everything they need except there's one place that they they can't go. And that's where we pick up in Genesis 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 13. It's on the screen behind me if you don't have it there in front of you. It says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes Will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Verse six When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then verse 13, then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, so I ate. I was deceived. I was deceived. Temptation. This is sin. This is the moment. We just came out of a series about the gospel. And in that series, we talked about the problem with sin. And this is the moment, Genesis chapter 3, where sin enters into the world, uh, d- disobeying a known law of God. God said, I- I've given you everything. This is the thing you cannot do. And that is the thing that they chose to do. And in that moment, sin enters into the world. And the moment sin enters into the world, fear is present. Guilt is present and shame is present. The moment sin comes into the world, the moment sin enters into the picture, fear and guilt and shame are present too. I mean, think about it. They should have been running to God in their need, but instead they hide from him. Instead of taking ownership and responsibility, they blame. It's the woman you put here. She gave it to me. See, this first sin, it's critical and it has powerful implications it has implications for us today that a sin and brokenness is, is our inheritance. And we know that Jesus was the plan of God to be our savior, to save us from sin, to reconcile us with God. That's what this last series we went through was all about. But the first sin is also critical because it began with temptation. So let's step back and define a little bit of what we're talking about. Uh, you, you may be asking this question, is temptation a sin? Well, the answer to that is no, because Jesus was tempted. We'll hear about that next week. So we know Jesus lived a sinless life, so being tempted is not a sin. In fact, sin is this. We mentioned it just a second ago, but sin is a voluntary violation of the known law of God. I know this is wrong, and I do it. I did it. That is sin. That uh, It's not a mistake. It's not an accident. Now, now, I can make a mistake and then be aware of how I hurt someone and then respond, and if I choose not to respond in love, then that's a sin. I, I'm voluntarily violating a known law of God. But it's, a, it's really a violation of the law of love because Jesus said that you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself, and so really sin is a violation of that law of love that we're given. That's That's sin. Well, you're saying, well, then what is temptation? Well, temptation is the act of being enticed to sin. It begins with a desire. And in James 1, we're reminded that that desire, if it's not guarded, if we're not careful, that desire can give birth to sin. I wrote this down. This is really helpful to me. Temptation is anything that promises satisfaction at the cost of obedience. Temptation is anything Anything that promises satisfaction at the cost of obedience. Anything that is desirable can become a temptation because Satan, the enemy of your soul, he doesn't have anything good to offer you. So all he can offer you are good desires, desires that are good, but that they can be satisfied in the wrong ways. That in our human appetites, he can appeal to us to satisfy a good desire in a wrong way. I'll prove it this way. Is it wrong to have money? Well, no. No, we know that's not wrong, but well what is wrong is to get money in a dishonest way, to seek after money more than anything else, to let it become the lord of our life. A natural desire that may not be bad to have money can become a bad thing when given into the temptation to satisfy that. <laughs> in the wrong way. Is sex wrong? No, absolutely not. In fact, biblically, we know it was created in the context of a married man and a married woman in covenant together. But when we choose to satisfy that desire in another way, that's what temptation does. It takes a good desire, but satisfying it in a way that is not God's design. Is it wrong to eat food? No, of course not. I hope not. What becomes a sin is when it becomes an idol to us or we turn to it for comfort or it becomes gluttony. Is it wrong to have sports and hobbies? Absolutely not. But when they become an idol and Lord to us and more important than the relationships God has given us, then we turn to satisfy a good desire in a bad way. So with that understanding, let's turn back to Genesis 3. I want you to see the science behind the first temptation. I have it on the screen. It's a little hard to read. If you have your U version app, the notes are there that you can read along. But it says this, understand this, that the enemy really understood this about you and me, that humans tend to want. So because of that, they can be coerced into wanting, into longing, into desiring things. They can be persuaded that they are not getting what they deserve. They can be convinced to want it all and act on that want. They can easily be convinced that they know better. And because of that, they have the capacity to want something more than they want God. This was the strategy. Do you see how the enemy tempted? He didn't come up firing like this. (laughs) He was careful. It was scientific in his approach of breaking down the defenses. What about these strategies? Uh, the serpent didn't use bad temptation approaches. See, these would not have worked, right? You should hate God. Adam and Eve, you should hate God. He's terrible. That wouldn't have worked. <laughs> Disobeying God is a good idea. <laughs> Don't you know? It's the best thing ever. No, no it's not. You know, ignore everything that God says. Everything he says is bogus. He doesn't know. That's not a good strategy. <laughs> That's like paying paintball like this, Right? That's not it. God is untrustworthy. Don't trust him. Finally, bad things might happen, but the risk is worth it. You know, if you eat that, the sin and all this brokenness, but it's going to be great. You'll love it, right? That's not what the enemy did. Carefully, strategically, he offered to fulfill a desire for something other than God's best. So what about you, what are the ways, what is the scientific ways that, that temptation lures you in? And if you aren't careful, you can give in to that desire. That desire, as it says in James 1, can give birth to sin. You know, one of the greatest threats that temptation poses for us is that in that moment, it makes a proposal that seems to make sense. It's not so outlandish, it's not so out there that, oh, in that moment, that moment of weakness, that moment of temptation, it offers a proposal that in that moment makes sense to us. You know, I would be happier if I, this would make me feel better if I, you know, I have been, I have been really stressed, so I think this is, whatever it is in that moment, that lie, that moment of temptation, a proposal that makes sense, at least in the moment. So what does scripture say? How do we leave? And you're here and you're saying, why in the world are we spending two weeks, you know, on this topic? And and I would say, because I think it's important. In fact, often I get to meet with one of the joys of ministry. I get to meet with a lot of people and walk with a lot of people through a lot of, a lot of things. But one of the greatest sorrows of ministry is I walk with a lot of people through a lot of things. And many times I'm sitting with people, I'm sitting with young people, I'm sitting with families and we are dealing with the results. We're dealing of the fruit, the impact of temptation that's been yielded to. One of the things that broke my heart in working with young people is many times I'd be walking with them and journeying with them and seeing them deal with, dealing with repercussions of a choice they didn't even make. It was a choice someone else made that was impacting their lives. And so today, Be aware that you and I don't always know what hangs in the balance of the choices that we make. I'm not here to make you afraid. I'm not here to make you paranoid. But I am here to let you know that this matters. This topic matters because the enemy of your soul is crafty. And let's look at what it says in 1 Peter chapter 5. This is uh, truth for us, but I believe it's also a lot of hope for us. And this is where uh, we'll uh, land the plane today. It says this in verses 8 and 9 of 1 Peter chapter 5. It says, be alert And of sober mind. Because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. First of all, be alert. That's why we're talking about this. One of my greatest fears is that some of us would be here today and we just think because we're strong enough or because we've made it this far that we can just kind of go our own way and do our own thing and we'll figure it out. When I cross that bridge, I'll come to it. And I'm just here to tell you that you got to be alert. You've got to be aware. Why? Because the enemy of your soul is prowling like a lion. He is looking for ways to destroy your life. The enemy of your soul, he hates you. He hates your life. He hates your family. He hates the hope that you have, the joy that you have. So so he wants to destroy that, and that doesn't mean we live in fear. It doesn't mean that we live paranoid, but it means that we have to be alert. We have to wake up. And some of us, if we're not careful, we're kind of sleepwalking through, kind of doing the thing like in our marriage or in our relationships or in our finances. And we just think we're going to figure it out as we go. And if we're not careful, the tempter is there offering us something that in that moment so appealing. But look at what it says. It says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, and then it gives really good advice. Advice number one is to resist. Resist him. Sometimes you know what our approach to temptation is. Well, I see the line, and I know if I cross that line, that's wrong. But what we we just walk as close to the line as we can, whether we realize it or not. Whether we're pre- but what we do is we kind of come up to that line, and we're looking over there, and it's not even that we want to go, but we're just it's, we get as close to it as possible without going over. And biblically, the Bible says, "No, no, no! You have to resist that." Because some of us are flirting with danger, flirting with temptation. We're allowing that temptation uh, to get into our ear or to get into our eyes or to get into around us. And the Bible says, no, 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 you are to resist temptation. You are to run the other way from that moment. Don't flirt with it for a minute. Don't consider it for a minute. Don't give it company for just a minute. I think this can be applied in a lot of different ways, but I just have to speak as a man and as a husband that I believe in our marriage that Lauren and I have some boundaries that we talk about for each other. And it's not because we don't love each other. It's not because we don't trust each other. It's because we want to resist the enemy. We don't want to do anything in our marriage that would even get close to that line, that would even present an opportunity for the enemy. It doesn't mean we're paranoid. It doesn't mean we're afraid, but it means that what we have to be alert and we have to resist. We have to run the other way. That means, you know, maybe there's, it's not um, going on those same websites over and over when I know the temptation will be to look at things I shouldn't. We don't do that. We don't flirt with the line. We run the other way. We set boundaries for ourselves. We create accountability for ourselves in ways that we know where the temptation is and we run the other way and I fear for some of us today I fear for some of us because maybe we just think it's not a big deal maybe we just think oh I'm strong enough Uh, that was in the past and that what we do is instead of resisting it we just toe the line of sin we just toe the line of temptation and we think that we're gonna be strong enough and I'm just here to tell you you won't be you won't be But I want to focus on the last five words of that verse. I think they're challenging. It's all good, but finally, it's not just to resist, but it's to stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in the faith. I I don't know everything that means, but I want to tell you in my life, in my journey, in the ways that I'm processing this week, three challenges that that offers me. Of what it means to stand firm. As we're trying to resist temptation, as we are choosing to run the other way, what does it mean to stand firm? I think it, it has three powerful implications. First, I think standing firm means that we affirm God's truth. We just went through a three-week series on the gospel, and in that series, what we were really doing is saying that this is truth for us. This is truth for us, that we don't take our idea of truth from what the media says, or what the common thought of the day is. We don't take truth from our feelings. We don't take truth from our bank account. You know, whatever it is where we would be so tempted for truth to kind of waver this way and that way that we actually say that this is truth and this is our foundation. And so in a moment of temptation, be careful What it is that you are turning to for truth be careful who it is that you are turning to for wisdom and insight God gives us great people around us But time and time again, we could be guilty if we're not careful of seeking the advice of other people instead of turning to the truth And the truth Is our foundation and in that moment of temptation? What is it that you are standing on? If you're standing on your feelings, if you're standing on your emotions, if you're standing on kind of what the common, well, everyone else thinks this is okay, be careful. Because we're called to stand firm, and in that we are called to affirm God's truth, that it is what is leading and guiding our lives. But also, we're called to affirm God's character. In the moment of temptation, you know what the enemy wants to do? The enemy wants you to believe God's not good. God doesn't love you. I see how you're broken and you're hurt. Man, God, God's abandoned you. you. You feel hopeless and you you, you got to take things into your own hands, right? Because God's not coming for you. God's not going to, oh, yeah, you're really frustrated in that relationship. You better fix things yourself because God's not going to help. Right? That's what the enemy does. He wants to create doubts and fears. In, in those moments, what we're tempted to do is you say, yeah, you're right. I've got to take matters into my own hands. And one of the biggest mistakes that we can make in that moment of temptation is to turn away and not take time to affirm who is it that I know God to be. Maybe I can't see it right now, maybe in my frustration or in my pain or in my temptation, I don't see it now but I believe in faith that God is an ever-present help in time of trouble. I believe he is with me. I believe that God is for me, not against me because this is my foundation. I know that to be God's character and so I'm tempted, I'm tempted to do things on my own. I'm tempted to be God of my own life now but no no no. I refuse to because I know that he is good and he is for me, not against me. See what happens when we affirm God's character? The lies of the enemy fall on deaf ears. Those temptations to run in the direction for temporary pleasure and temporary joy, they begin to fade away because we affirm who God is. Who God is. Finally, that we affirm not just the truth and God's character, but we affirm God's presence. Listen, Pentecost Sunday is our reminder that the Spirit of God came to live inside of us. And this is beautiful what happens on Sunday when the church gathers, but you know what's even more beautiful than this? In just a few minutes when the church is commissioned, is sent to grottos and Bridgewater and Port Republic and wherever you live and wherever you go because the Spirit of the living God is in you. I believe God's presence is here, and I'm grateful for that, but I'm really, really, really grateful that wherever you go, God's presence is in you. So in the schools and in the workplaces and in the neighborhoods, man, God's presence is there. And one of the biggest lies that we face in the midst of temptation is that we are all alone. That you are all alone. And the truth is, the truth is that isolation breeds destruction. Isolation, I'm talking about physical isolation, like some of us are facing temptation. And we are isolated. We are alone. We don't tell anybody else about it. We don't let anybody else in. And I'm telling you that isolation will breed destruction in your life. That if you're adamant about going at it alone, one day you're going to look back and there'll be all kinds of destruction. Not because you're not good, not because you can't do it alone. And in that moment of temptation, when you feel like you're all alone, you are not going to be strong enough to stand. Instead, even in that hard place, even in that moment where you are so tempted to cross that line, to cross that boundary, to give in to that desire, affirm in that moment, God, you are with me. God, you have not left me. God, your strength is enough right now. And the moment that we do that, the moment that we affirm his truth and his character and his presence, faith rises up and he gives us the power to resist temptation. He gives us the power to run from temptation. It's not because we're so great and so strong to no, know. It's because of who he is. And we've made him our source and our foundation. This morning, I, a closing thought for you and for me, a challenge for us. As we prepare in just a minute to be commissioned into the world. My closing thought is this. The battle against temptation begins with the choices I make today. Some of us are saying, well, I'm not facing temptation today. And and I'll, I'll cross that bridge when I come to it. And I'll, man, if that's your strategy, it's not enough. If that's your strategy, you will not be strong enough that we have to decide today to make the choices that will help us persevere when the moment of trial comes. Because if we wait, it might be too late. We have to begin now. Because the battle against temptation begins with the choices I make today. And so today, are you alert? Are you aware? I'm not paranoid, not fearful, but are you aware? Today, are are you resisting temptation? Are you running the other way? Are you standing firm, affirming God's Word, affirming who He is, affirming His presence in your life? I'm going to ask you to close your eyes for a minute. I want to pray for you and I'm aware that when I preach a message like this, a topic like this, there are some people in the room today that are feeling real heavy. There are some people today, you might be tempted to think about the times when you've given in to temptation. And I just want to offer you today that if you've asked the Lord to forgive that, man, don't, don't bring that back up. That's under the blood. That's been forgiven. That's in the past. But what I want us to do today is look at today. Look at this moment. Look at this opportunity because the past is the past. And we can pray and ask God to deal with that, but we have the opportunity to choose how we move forward from here. And so I pray today you would not feel condemnation at all. Instead, you would sense God's powerful voice, his invitation to you to walk forward in freedom. So Lord, I I don't know who I'm praying for today, but I believe your spirit is here, and I believe your spirit speaks to us, and so I do believe there are some that they're towing the line. They're giving temptation too much attention. They're flirting with danger this morning. And maybe they don't understand what hangs in the balance, or maybe they think they're strong enough to but Lord, I'm just asking and I'm praying today that you would help us to resist him, to run the other way, to get really passionate this week about standing firm, affirming your truth and affirming who you are and affirming your presence in our lives. Because Lord, we don't know what hangs in the balance. Lord, I pray for those that are dealing today with the past that they would, they would ask you to forgive and they would be able to move on in freedom in knowing that the past is the past, but today is a new day with new freedom and new opportunities. But Lord, that you would help us to take this seriously as we look towards the future, that we would begin now making the decisions. So that when that moment of temptation comes, through your power and through your strength, we will overcome. I thank you for a room full of people that have power today and have freedom today because of you. Thank you, Jesus, that we're not, we're not without hope today. No, 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 we are a people of great hope. Why? Because of your presence in us. May we make the choices today, Lord, to be the kind of people, the men and the women, the students, the young people that you have called us to be in the future. We love you and we thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
0: Thanks again for listening today. Email us at info at beaconofhope.org with any questions about our church. We have two gatherings every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. and 10:30 a.m. and a third gathering at 11:45 in Spanish. We are at 1871, Boyers Road in Rockingham, Virginia, and we would love for you to join us. As soon as you're finished listening today, please subscribe to this channel for updates and new episodes.